0: Hello and welcome to Rocket! Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, here with Christina Warren, Senior Tech Correspondent at Mashable, and Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat. That's how it's pronounced, right? Giant space cat.
1: I think so. I think so. But I'm not, I, I'm not important this week. What's important <laughs> is Christina's delay of rocket <laughs> to go see One Direction. So just uh, a the hot teen. journalistic take on that, please. Yeah, no, I'm at
2: peak teen, right? So this <laughs> summer I've seen Taylor Swift. Um, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, I, I saw One Direction. There's a very small possibility. We're not sure yet. Um, everyone, fingers crossed. But it's possible that I might get tickets <sighs> to see Taylor in Los Angeles on August 22nd. And if that happens, like I'm not joking, I will totally like... Is that through work or just for your own (laughs) benefit? For work? Are you kidding me? I wish. (laughs) No. You know, I don't know. You get to do a lot of... I mean, no. This would not be something that that, the senior tech correspondent would get to do. Um, I think our senior music editor... I think he's going to be like our senior music reporter or whatever. I think he'll be at one of the, one of the Los Angeles shows. No, this would strictly be for Christina because this is what film girl wants to do. You
1: need to uh, work Yeah. On replace him. Fired and then take his job. In addition. I don't, to- I don't disagree. I don't yeah. disagree. Yeah. No, but
2: I, yeah. I, I, did. Um, I, there was a group on for one direction tickets. <laughs> oh my
1: God. Christina Warren. <laughs> That's what you got? Yeah.
2: Well, I would for a couple reasons. One, there was a group on, so it wasn't like a lot of money. Two, uh, my good friend Liz Pearson. Liz underscore Pearson on the Twitter. She's our photo editor. She's fantastic. She's like the biggest One Direction fan in the freaking world. And so I wanted to watch her freak the heck out. <laughs> what was great was that her younger sister came. Her sister lives and um, goes to the University of Missouri. And what happened was is that um, One Direction was on Good Morning America the day before their concert in Jersey. And I was mm-hmm. able to get Liz and her sister VIP tickets to the, <gasps> to the GMA thing. Oh, no. Yeah, oh. so they showed up at like 6 o'clock in the morning and, and they were like freaking out and they were very close to, to, to the One Directioners. And, uh, and then so her you sister were like the and, hero.
1: You got you to be are the hero, it. Christina Warren. Totally. You were A like, you were like the, the Santa Claus of One Direction. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was super happy to do it. And then Liz's
2: boyfriend ended up coming too and then um, we had some other um, – uh, people at work going so like 8 of us went total we had to sit in separate sections from one another but oh i i was with Liz and and her sister Mel and with Luke and it was a, it was a blast i have to say yeah. you guys like it looked yeah, fun. yeah. they it did good fun. yeah i mean look i'm i'm in my early 30s i've never been to a boy band concert i've been to a lot of like <laughs> punk punk concerts a lot of other things my first boy band concert i survived it was a lot of fun and uh mm-hmm. yeah i mean you know the the teens were screaming i made friends with this girl Keisha who was sitting who was sitting next to me she's 15 and it was like her fourth oh concert. god Fuck christina came friends and like hugged like the whole night it was really fun
1: no you should be. i i i will admit on this show and i can't wait for this to be a kotaku and action thread tomorrow but oh yeah i i have actually attended nsync concerts before and I will own that and I enjoyed the mm, I had a really good time if if you haven't
0: been to a boy band concert you haven't lived yet so I'm glad that you are among the living now Christina no
2: I'm I'm glad too I will say you know the only boy band member ever that I would like actually want to have sex with would be J.C. Chazet and that remains true to this day he's the only one I find like attractive hold on have
0: you seen his solo stuff yeah Okay, and you still you, you still know, feel look, that I
2: way. I like like, like like some girls dance with women didn't happen because he's still like now he still looks really good. Like if you re- remember when they did like the, the the VMA thing where they had the tribute to to Justin Timberlake and they mm-hmm. brought like the rest of in sync out, it was really funny because they cut all of the other guys mics except for JC and Justin. <gasps> like JC and oh Justin are the only two you can hear because JC still can dance and still can sing, and Justin Timberlake has actually gone on record and has been like he's the most talented dude I've ever known. Like he's so good his problem the reason he hasn't like broken through solo is because he does too many cool things and he can't just like focus on one thing but
1: yeah wow anyway okay. and that's enough of christina talking about boy bands I'm yeah, yeah, yeah
0: yeah <laughs> yeah. is this not our boy band podcast is that can, not? Like- can
1: i say i finally read reviews of rocket um on itunes and because i you know like I get so much anger thrown at me that I didn't want to be like, oh, my show isn't good. But, like, our reviews are freaking glowing. Like, people love this show. So... Thank you to everyone out there that's reviewed this, and you know they did say we talk about Taylor Swift a bit, and we do.
0: But (laughs) uh, well, now it's going to be One Direction from here on out. So you know
1: what, you should have you should have let us talk about Taylor Swift. You're going to regret. Okay, I got to give you pushback on that because Dr Dre's Compton album is out and is is so good. good. And I have I've listened to you two talk about 1989 a lot but yeah, that album yes. I'm sorry I like rap music a lot more than Taylor Swift and that is the best thing he has ever done and like I don't want to like spend a lot of time talking about it but what makes <laughs> it really interesting it's is good. every single song on that album is I don't want to say a different style but like they brought in really big artists to do different tracks on it and one of the, the things that makes um, you know, like Dubstep very musically interesting is uh, you know, House from like the nineties. Um, it was often criticized for being kind of repetitive. So what Dubstep figured out is they could kind of break the beats down and make it irregular and change tempo a lot so your brain can't like mm-hmm. follow where it's gonna go. And like this new album took all the best parts of that and like produced it in one of the smartest most awesome albums i've ever seen with a lot of smart political messaging in it too Mm -hmm. and it is a masterpiece and i don't want to talk about it but i do want to say like if you have an apple music subscription and you like rap music at all check it out
0: i totally agree i after you mentioned it today i put it I put it on I only managed to listen to through half of it before I had to do actual work but like the beginning of that yeah the flow from the intro song into his first song was like mind-blowing I was sitting there with chills running down my spine I was like Brianna was right so yeah check it out
2: and I really want to see the movie I'm a big NWA fan and no the album was fantastic so yeah it's a it's on Apple Music it's good this episode
0: of Rocket sponsored by Dr. Dre
1: <laughs> not really <laughs> But we should say that like it's interesting because it is exclusive to Apple Music, and you Mm -hmm. know I think that's I don't know how many of those exclusives Apple is going to be able to wrangle for their service, but if they can, like that is going to be a very strong competitive edge to that service. So Mm -hmm. you know we'll see. Yeah. All right. So should we get right into it? Let's talk about who wants to like kick Android around for a bit. Who's up?
0: Yeah. Let's kick Android around. So. Do you want me to do you want me to set the scene here with the Android Delio? Set, set set the scene. Give us some stage fright. It was the end of July. The air was hot and full of Flies and things, and a security researcher reported that 950 million Android phones and tablets were vulnerable to a malicious code that could be sent in multimedia text messages, and it could affect the device without it being, um, without any action on the part of the victim. So, no opening mysterious documents, no actually opening the message even. It could still affect the device. So, today or this week, we read a really interesting piece by Ron Amadeo on Ars Technica basically saying that you know no if at no matter when stage fright get which is this bug gets fixed this problem still exists within android and it's still something like even if this bug doesn't turn android into a fiery hellscape something is going to come along at some point that they can't patch quickly enough just because of the nature of the and the Android, you know, user base—that all these fractured different kinds of phones and all of these OEMs and carriers who aren't pushing updates um, in a timely manner, shall yeah. we say? So it's a huge security risk. Totally. And- yeah. Uh, he had some suggestions for how it could be fixed, if you want to talk about that a bit, Christina, just emulating the Windows model, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I mean,
2: his suggestions are basically that they have to kind of go to a universal update thing where that the, what's here to kind of set the stage for the problem now, if people aren't familiar. The reason why, it's not so much that Android is, is more insecure than other operating systems, but because it is open, uh, what happens is that uh, phone manufacturers take it, they make it their own, um, and, and then oftentimes they customize it beyond that for the carriers. So take Samsung as an example. You know, They're the largest phone maker. You take like the Galaxy S6, one of the newest phones. The Galaxy S6 that they sell unlocked will have their TouchWiz interface and whatever apps maybe that that Samsung on its own decided to bundle. But then you have the version that goes to T-Mobile. You have the version that goes to AT&T. You have the one that goes to Sprint. You have the one that goes to Verizon. You have the one that goes to the carriers in other countries. And a lot of times those carriers will say, hey, we have an agreement with Yellow Pages if you're AT&T. So we need to have this Yellow Pages app. Front and center, or we have our own security app that we want to do something with, and so we want that on there, and we want to have this app that can't be uninstalled that we want to package, or we're sprinting, we want our NFL app, and so they have to customize the ROMs, they have to customize the systems so that it's it's divergent from even like the stock. Galaxy S6 that Samsung might offer. Mm -hmm. So Samsung can offer updates and they can update people to the next operating system. But the problem is, is that if there's like a security thing and it's not a major update, it's not as simple as just sending out a patch because they've fundamentally altered some of the core of the operating system itself. And it gets more complex, the more carrier modifications that are made. And so Ron's suggestion, I think it's a good one, is that basically... Google needs to stop letting people muck that deep in the code and say, "Okay, you can <laughs> customize the skin, you can customize the touch bus interface, but if you're wanting to fundamentally impact like ways that the system, you know, files and other things kind of work, um, you can't do that." And that way, Google could push out updates. The, the problem, as he notes, though, is that um, there is a not on ARM processors the same sort of kind of driver support for for device level drivers the, the way and on Android the way that you have it. Mm -hmm. on x86 and on the way windows does so the way windows works for instance is that you you know you can have um, uh, device driver makers build drivers that that can work you know at the system level whereas on android they're having to work kind of at a more at at a level above that and so if there's a problem with a chipset for instance or there's a vulnerability on like a bluetooth chipset that might affect x number of phones um, it's really hard to just update that driver and not have something more fundamental to the firmware or, or, or or the, or the kernel of the phone. And I mean, this is obviously a huge advantage that, that, Apple has because they control the hardware and the software so they can just issue the update out and, and they also have a unique situation where, you know, carriers want to approve updates before they go out on their system to make sure that you're not going to issue code that's going to break their network. Yeah. But by and large, you know, um, Apple just is like, screw it, we're just going to issue an update anyway. Um, well, so, and then they have to cope with that. And- right, I mean, you know, and, and if something were to break, it were to break, but usually Apple does their own testing. Um, but, you know, Google for their Nexus devices there's a very similar thing where they just push out the updates and, and, and they hit all the phones. Google used to sell um, you know, HTC and Samsung, and and I think those were the only two brands had what they would call Google Play editions of devices, which basically were running stock Android and could get security updates as they were issued. But the problem is, is that A, those didn't sell that well. B, that program is no longer even around. And yeah. and C, you know, there's not really a financial incentive for the companies, for the OEMs, frankly – to um, not take the carriers money and customize the hell out of this stuff, so I mean I mm-hmm. think that Ron's suggestion and it would kind of require a bigger overthinking of Android and it would not it's important to know this would not affect the fact that you know however many billion devices are are affected by this stuff now, it would only be something that we would start at you know for the future would be to say okay. Already Google is doing things with Chrome um, and in and, and the Android browser, which historically has been kind of um, a ticking time bomb because if you're using an older version of Android, people can have web exploits and, and JavaScript exploits that affect that version of the browser. So Google has already said, okay, since carriers are really slow to update, since OEMs are really slow to update, we're going to start separating certain bits of the Android operating system into separate apps so that they can be updated independently from the Google Play Store. So if you update Google Play services, then you can get an update to your browser or you can get an update to maybe this other underlying system. So Google can do some of those things, but I think that the, the Ron's point is that they need to go even further and say, if you want to impact the, what what used to be the old school kind of ROM, so to speak, there are certain parts of the system that you cannot touch that we will still have access to and we can push out irrespective of your own customizations. Um, and your your ability to customize things will have to be on a different layer and maybe not interact quite as tightly integrated as it does work with it now. Um, and, and if that were the case, for instance, you know, Samsung had a vulnerability a few months back with um, a weird version of SwiftKey that they were using that was built into the Samsung keyboards. That you know had a security issue, and they said, "Oh well, we'll issue updates, but who knows when or how that will get um, dispersed." That's one of those things that Google can't fix. That because that was a a, a core you know issue that Samsung made to their TouchWiz ROM. And, and and Ron's point is that what they could do is basically say you can't make that sort of modification, no matter how much money SwiftKey might pay you. You know, you're not <laughs> able to, to change what the default keyboard would be to the point that it can't be updated by us if we yeah, find out yeah. the sort of security. No, problem. I.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Christina, you're dead on with everything you just said. And you know, I don't. I don't like sitting here and giving Android a hard time. You know, like for me as yeah. a, an iOS developer, you know, and as someone that's moving into Android, you know, clearly, like the this article also notes that, what was it, like 80% of phones out there in the wild today are Android phones. And it correctly yes. notes that Android isn't just the most um, widely used operating system on mobile. It's probably the most widely used operating system overall. So that just from only a, a
0: small fraction of those are updated right, to the latest. Right. OS. And this is
1: what this article goes on and says that, like, you know, even when this comes out, like the number of supported devices that are going to be patched for this horrific security update is only 2.6, even right. though, mm-hmm. you know, it goes on to note that because of other security settings like a good number of these phones are going to be protected but this is this is a really high level problem Christina and I think that there is looking at Android and what the market was when it came out And where they did have this kind of religious, um, you know, like dedication to open software. And I do Mm -hmm. believe that there should be an Apple and there should be a relatively more open competition for it. I really believe in that. At the same time, just as a businesswoman, if Android doesn't get this problem under control, um, I, I completely agree with this piece. It is a ticking time bomb. Yes. And for something to happen that is catastrophic, the damages like all Android users' face in that phone, like that mm-hmm. is inevitable unless they yeah. step up and i think like it's really time to note that like android has gone through and they've tried to do these um yeah they've tried to do this political thing they've exercised more control over who gets android they have internal certification they've tried to do this they've tried to work with OEM manufacturers and you know i'm an engineer i look at stuff and i say did they get the job done? Did they not get the job done? And the fact is, they haven't made any significant strides in addressing no. this that I can see. It's exactly like you said. You know, Microsoft is like they've actually gotten really advanced at the way they yes. handle security on that operating system because they've had to. Because they've had to. Right, and they've, they've had the, to. Right. and they've
2: known what it's like when you have an operating system that can't have those sorts of things. I mean, Microsoft knows, you know, the 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 thing of legacy debt, you know, from Windows XP, yeah. from having an operating system that was so widely used that they couldn't continue to update, that, that was getting pirated so much, and they saw how that was hurting them, and that was one of the reasons why they've built, you know, subsequent versions of Windows, kind of Vista and, and but especially seven and up, to really have advanced, you know, security heuristics stuff built in, yeah. so that it can be updated, because they know what it's like they've gone through what Android is going through now, except at least with Microsoft. Even if you had a pirated version, there was still an update mechanism. You right. know, um, there was still ultimately a way Microsoft could even change things on their servers if they wanted to to say if you're pirated, we can still send you an update. Whereas there's not a, a, a generic phone home, you know, to update thing on Android if you're just using the operating system. Because you, and what if you're not even using the services? What if you're like an Amazon and you're just using you know parts of the kernel and and parts of the. Infrastructure infrastructure, but you're not actually using any of the Google-connected stuff. Google won't have anything to say about it, but yet it's still, you know, Android-compatible with some of the apps. I mean, it's. I, I agree with you, Bree. There's definitely a need for there to be a more open component, and but I think that, that Ron made a really good point in his article where he wrote, you know, Google was so quick to want to get market share to want to kind of compete against Microsoft and, and, and Apple when they released Android that they didn't think... Through yeah, the the context of the security stuff, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, they've had opportunities. I believe in the past, you know, four or five years to take more active steps than they have to really kind of push things. I but it would have slowed some of their growth. Uh, yeah, because they could have said a few versions ago, if you want to get access to Android, you know, four or four point five, you've got to you've got to uh, adhere to these things. Yeah. and developers would only build for those versions, then then the OEMs w- would catch up. But at this point, where you still have, you know, very low adoption on 5.0 and 5.1, and and a lot of people, you know, customizing, or, or it, we're not even talking about the fact that in China, a lot of those devices don't even run Google services at all, um, but, but yet can still kind of run Android apps, and a lot of people still pirate things from the Google Play Store, which is a whole yeah. other issue entirely. Yeah. You know, you still have people who are, you know, using the Android logo when running Android stuff. But I think that if they'd kind of implemented probably, you know, I'd say about four years ago, it would have slowed their growth a little bit. But if they had said, you've got to implement these kind of structures and if they'd started to do what they're doing now where they're pulling out parts of the OS and making it more modular so they can update on the fly without having to have the carriers involved, it would have been better. But I yeah, don't know. What, I mean, I, and, I, and I think they can do that going forward. The problem... With the new phones that they're producing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the problem yeah. is going to be especially I think in the emerging world, as you're literally, they're selling billions of these things a year. What happens when you have this ingrained user base where people are buying phones or have phones that are vulnerable and can be, you know, Mm -hmm. um, bad things can happen from a text message because that's the real challenge.
1: You're totally right, Christina. We could talk about that, but but first we have to talk about the sponsor really quickly. Simone, do you want to do that?
0: this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you are a mobile app developer, you should check out Braintree. It is the payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experiences in these apps seamless and magical, and now you can add a similar experience to your own app. With Excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. And Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means you'll be as prepared means you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is also helping solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience, and they make payment experiences in some of your favorite apps, Seamless and Magical, and now you can add similar experiences to your own apps. Braintree gives you a full stack payment solution support for all payment types your customers might want, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more, all with a single integration. It is with you across all platforms with superior fraud protection and their fantastic customer service and fast payouts. So to learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to BraintreePayments.com slash Rocket. That is BraintreePayments.com slash Rocket, the name of this podcast. And thank you so much, Braintree, for supporting this episode of Rocket. So, no, I I I think there's a...
1: I think there's a point with Android where, you know, like they're talking here about how the most popular Android phone in the entire world is the Samsung Galaxy 3. And look, let's just be realistic here. Like we are not going to fix these phones that have shipped. No. And I think what Google needs to do is, you know, Snow Leopard was a very, very critical release for OS 10. You know, they took a moment and that year didn't come out with a lot of sexy new features. Um, but what it Was it upgraded the core of OS 10 that Mm -hmm. allowed all this stuff to be done to it for years? It really it was like shoring up the foundation of a house, and I think that it's time for Android to kind of take a breath and you know address the security issue. And this isn't you know this is a smart business choice to make. Like this is a question: Will Android still be a viable product in a decade? Because, right. like, you know, we're talking about a payment system. Like, what happens if, you know, someone has a really widely adopted payment system on their phone and it starts getting hijacked and, like, credit card numbers get out there? Well, mm-hmm. that's going to leave the OEMs open to, you know, litigation. It could open yep. Google up to litigation. Um, you know, this is a disaster waiting to happen. So, you know, Christina, you were talking about, writing the drivers at a certain level where it could affect hardware level bugs, which is a really important thing. I could, Oh, I could talk so long about unreal and trying to get like that to work (laughs) with different graphics, um, you know, chips in the in the phones. But yeah, this is a really, really big problem. So it's time for them to take a beat, to think about the foundation of their operating system and kind of tweak it with future phones So it can be more secure. And I know, Mm -hmm. like, the people that work at Google are beyond smart. Absolutely. I know and so they, many talented people.
2: And yeah. I know they, this is a problem. And they want to fix this. This is not something they they do. They, they want to continue. Right. And I mean, part of it is that they are a little bit, their hands are tied a little bit, you know, because yeah. it comes down to the carriers and it comes down to their OEM partners. But I will say this. I think Google has more strength than it sometimes exerts. They are freaking Google. They can say, if you want to have our licensees, if you want to be able to use our stuff, you've got to follow these rules. If you want to have, you know, if you want to be, um, a, a, you know, um, OHA, Open Handset Alliance, if you want. Yeah. To have Google Store, if you want to have services, you've got to follow these rules. And I think they can also say to the carriers if you want to carry Android, if you want to have any access to any of our stuff, you've got to be willing to push out these updates. You can't say, yeah. you can't sit on your hands and say, oh, well, this is a phone that's no longer being sold. Sorry. No, you've got I to was, say, yeah. we're going to issue this because the manufacturer is going to give it to us or Google is going to give it to us and we're going to update the phone.
0: Yeah. Our Technica did an interesting, uh, a small ish study on this, but the numbers the, – the number of months between updates being pushed by Google and then being implemented by the OEMs or car- carriers is ridiculous. It was yes. like 13 months in some cases. I That was appalling to me. Well, and again, that's because
2: they're doing a couple of things. Like, again, to use Samsung as an example, not to pick on them but just because they're the biggest, you know, they had their TouchWiz UI overlay, which um, – you know, changes the look and feel of Android, and it's more than just a launcher; it's a full skin. Um, you can find ways to kind of d. You know, O Touch was a, a system, but it usually requires installing another ROM. So they've got very deep customizations on the UI front. Then, as mm-hmm. I said, they've got all these customizations for what apps are pre-installed. So if you think about it, for instance, if you've got an app that can't be uninstalled, that's like built-in. Like, let's just yeah. say, like you know, like a Yellow Pages app, or or a, actually, better example, like a carrier's like dialer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, if that app, if we it was written in a certain way and it didn't adhere to maybe certain standards and then Google updated something and what if it breaks, right? And, and then you're screwed. Right, or what if it breaks with, with the new TouchWiz stuff? So what Samsung has to do is they've got to update their TouchWiz to work under the new underlying Google changes. They've got to back forth the changes, recompile, make sure it works okay. And then they've got to make sure these apps they didn't develop but they agree to put on the phone work too. And so uh-huh. this is like, you know, you're thinking about many, many different layers of moving parts of, of many different contract teams. Teams all kind of working at different rates, and then you've maybe got you know for for a phone like a, a Galaxy S three, which has a, you know as Brie was pointing out, it's like the most popular phone that maybe has nineteen or twenty different variants depending on the carriers and and where it's out there. So you've got different ROMs that have to be prepared for all of those, and so yeah, it's gonna maybe be. It, it could definitely be, you know, fourteen months or, 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 or you know longer before those are pushed out, just because of the fact that it, it's not just one thing. It's it's you know it's, it's a
0: thousand moving parts. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting to me um, what we're saying with the the updates generally come to phones that are still on the market, not things like the Galaxy S3, which are right. three years old. It seems like OEMs and car- carriers are viewing these phones as more disposable than their customers are. Yes and it kind of it's speaking to me about this sort of perceived class divide between yes. android and apple phones like it seems like the i mean this isn't to say that people who buy android phones buy them because they can't afford an iphone i'm not saying that but it is interesting to me that the uh, the iphone which is perceived as a you know high business almost luxury item gets its updates and i know it gets them because of the structure of the company but there is no infrastructure like that in place for these right. Android phones, which are owned by, you know, a huge group of people. The people that are being affected by this are the people that aren't upgrading their phones. Exactly, They're still using three or four-year-old phones, and that's really an interesting kind of class element of this entire thing to me yeah i
1: I agree there's a class element to it but at the end of the day like you know it it feels like that poisons so much of the dialogue with with this subject because people it sometimes feels like android people are really invested in believing that you know their phones are are don't have these fragmentation problems. And, right. you know, it's like, you know, Windows has advantages over OS ten. I've talked a lot about, you know, Open, OpenGL and the problems with that uh, on the show a lot. You know, Android has certain advantages over Apple, but... A really solid advantage that Apple has is, you know, the security. And, Not having you know, 24,000 active right. devices. And yeah, no right. one here on this podcast is talking about this issue because we want to look down on Android users. Not at all. I am looking down on this. I, I can't
0: here, look down on 950 million right, people. From, this is, <laughs> no. this is anything, about,
1: I, we have talked about security yes. so much on this show. We talked about Ashley Madison. We talked about Planned Parenthood last week. We're talking about with Android now. And the truth is, this is where we live our lives. This is where we do our financial transactions. This is where we log into social media. It is so critical that this stuff be safe. And the only way that happens is by journalists like Christina and Simone and, you know, I guess to a lesser extent, me like, talking about this stuff. You right. know, it's not personal. We're not trying to guilt trip no. Android users. We want you to be no, safe.
2: No, not at all. No, we right. want you to be safe. And on, yeah. the, the one thing I would say about the class divide, because I think that it's actually even more, I, I think that there is that point there, but I would actually say it goes even beyond that. And I would say it comes into almost like a, a, a global kind of class divide thing. What bothers me about this, and especially the way people kind of, the way the carriers and the, the phone makers, for that matter, kind of write this stuff off is that a lot of times these older phones are still sold actively in emerging markets. And that's what pisses me off because I don't want somebody who's in India or in, you know, some part of Africa or in, you know, Indonesia to be having to, you know, they're getting a phone. This is to them a new and and, and a good phone that's basically kind of rebadged or whatnot that's running, you know, software that could, uh, you know, really like negatively impact their lives. And, 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 and that's definitely something that the, they're, they're, they're the people, you know, kind of the, the newest kind of digital consumers are the people who are in some ways the most vulnerable to this stuff. And that's what really bothers me.
0: Yeah. All right. <laughs> Should we move on? Let's do it. All right. Um, I'm going to do – I'm going to talk to you guys really quickly. About the fact that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Text Expander Yay! from Smile.
1: Yay!
0: Yay! Yay! Smile, who sent me a lovely mug that I use very often. I love my mug uh, too. And you guys use both use Text Expander too, oh, which is yeah. great. Live and die by it at work, like, yeah, genuinely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If you ever need to type the same sentences, phrases, or words over and over and over and over again, this is what Text Expander is for. It saves you time and effort by expanding abbreviations customized by you into that frequently used text and even pictures. Text Expander 5 is here to help you type even faster than ever before, probably faster than the speed of light. That's my estimate. That's the estimate, actually, from the top scientists. Uh, It makes suggestions of frequently typed phrases that you can abbreviate and save time. It reminds you of missed opportunities to use those abbreviations while you're typing, so you can really, like, build a habit and get into this habit of typing faster and more efficiently. Uh, The new version improves suggestions by omitting most single dictionary words and giving you control over notification, greater control over notifications. Yeah. How often, Christina, how many millions of times a day would you estimate that you use Text Expander? I don't know because, and and I'm using the new version five
2: on my Mac. I love it. I have, um, so I have a number of different Text Expander things that I sync with Dropbox. um, And I have one for Mashable and I'm opening it up right now. And so I've got, I'm looking, I have like 15 or 16 different Mashable things that I use pretty frequently. And like one of my most common ones, for instance, is um, we have these see also links that we put in all articles and so what I do is I copy a URL and then I type in see also and it inserts the brackets with see also and then in the quotes where the article goes it puts what's in my clipboard so nice. it automatically puts that there and then I have things like we have a comment uh, section thing that we add at the bottom of the very, every article so I just type in mcom so like mashable comment I just type in mcom and it inserts that code um, if I need to you know insert a video or or, or a gallery or something, I can copy text, type in a couple of words, and it puts that there. You know, I have things also to to make it faster um, to do all of my ASCII emoticons. So I would use asterisk asterisk shrug, probably fifteen to, to twenty <laughs> times a day, and that just puts the the the, the, the emoticon there. I mean, I I use so many. They, and then the, the, what's cool about the app too is that you can subscribe to. Um, Pre um, a, a created kind of snippet groups. So, for instance, there's like an, one for HTML and CSS and one for internet uh, productivity so that you can type things like, you know, um, Slash uh, like a, um, a comma uh, a URL and it'll create a, a link anchor for the URL that is in your clipboard, which is super great. It'll automatically kind of create like a URL tag, so it makes it super fast to you know type in and, and get around you know typing frequent HTML stuff. Which if you're like me, that, those are things I do all the time, and it's just so much it's faster. It's possible that use. you've
0: become too powerful. Thanks to Text Expander.
2: It is true. <laughs> Here's what's funny. I, I've turned so many of my colleagues onto Text Expander. Um, and, and, and I share you know my, my snippets with them and it's one of those things when we hire new copy editors um, I, I and, you know almost everybody at Mashable is, is a, um, is a uh, Mac user and I'm always, I'm always like okay so you need to buy this app you can expense it um, and, and I'll share this with you and it will save you so much time and then when I show it to them they realize that they can automate so many of the, the tasks that they do so frequently they go oh my god how did I live without this and I go yeah exactly
0: Oh, awesome Text Expander 5 costs $44.95 in fantastic US dollars. Uh, upgrades are available for $19.95 for existing users free if you've purchased on or after January 1st, 2015. You might have noticed we are in August 2015 right now. So, you know, get on that. You can find out more about Text Expander 5 by visiting smilesoftware.com/slash rocket uh, and text expander for ios is available on the app store for iphone or ipad do check it out it has saved christina's life probably 10 times at least yes. today and brianna is still here as well with us so thank goodness thank you so much smile for supporting this episode of rocket i almost said this episode of text expander we've <laughs> changed our podcast change our podcast name <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so much Yes. We're going to talk about Reddit again, again this week. Again. We have this to. This
1: is a good topic this week. Yes.
0: It is. Yeah. And it's really interesting. So back in July, Reddit was tossing around new guidelines for its its content policy. And this meant that they also, they banned some of the most hateful subreddits and, or they were going to quarantine basically the ones that were super, super unattractive to advertisers, make sure that they weren't indexed in search and you had to have a verified Reddit email address to even access them and opt into viewing them. Them. and so the perception of that was kind of like okay well all of this stuff is still going to be able to exist but they're just going to hide it okay and then to or this week uh steve huffman says that they are banning a group of the most offensive of the subreddits including the white supremacist one that we have referenced a couple times Let's not say the name of it <laughs> yeah. exactly
1: <Or> c-town. <laughs> c-town c-town c-town
0: the white supremacist subreddit, And we all know what it is and we won't talk about it or we won't reference its name. Um, so yeah, that was a huge, huge thing that had that community in uproar, even though of a course. lot of that community, I think, has migrated to vote. But the way that he presented as saying today, in addition to applying quarantines, we are banning a handful of communities that exist solely to annoy other Redditors, prevent us from improving Reddit, and generally, generally make Reddit worse for everyone else. So- this is interesting. I was reading a piece by Annalie Newitz on Gizmodo saying that it's interesting that this this subreddit wasn't banned for under the new content policy, which says, you know, if yes. you are encouraging or exciting harassment, your Reddit will be banned. It's, it's,
2: they're basically saying we're not banning it because of the content. We're banning it because it's – causing a disproportionate amount of time for us to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you're making our lives too difficult. The content we're not going to comment on, but you're making our lives difficult and that we just can't have.
0: I'm totally glad that it's gone. But it seems like there's a disconnect there between like, this stuff is offensive and annoying to people. And the fact that that, you know, perpetuating those ideas does have real life repercussions of violence. So allowing that language to exist on Reddit like does technically incite and it encourage does. harassment and violence. I mean, I
2: think that it, this is kind of yet the latest example of Reddit still trying to have it both ways. I mean, look, look, don't get me wrong. I'm actually very, very glad that, 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 that C-Town know more and, and I'm glad that those people don't feel like they have a safe haven in Reddit anymore and that Reddit has made it clear that people who try to create, you know, replacement communities will be banned and to the point that, uh, <laughs> I thought this was, I was reading some of the comments on Co- uh, Kotaku in action where they were getting angry
1: beautiful. It, it was. was so beautiful. But they were like Oh, oh we don't want
2: the Sea town people coming over here and some of the Sea town people are coming over and saying oh, why do you guys support us? And then they're like we don't want to get banned because you've been banned and it, it was kind of a beautiful like, disaster and I love it. Oh my it. god. Um, but but you know, so look, I'm very glad that it's gone uh, but I do feel like it's, it's and I'd love to know you guys' thoughts, I feel like it's still Reddit trying to have it both ways where they're yeah. trying to say we support the ideas of free speech which was obviously whether they want to Admit it now or not was something that the community was mm-hmm. kind of founded on or at least sold as being founded on, but um we're not going you know but but obviously our advertisers are going to hate this and and we understand this stuff is gross and problematic. so it's you know, like it's, it's like to me it feels like they're they're still not willing to come out and say these opinions are abhorrent and have no place on reddit.
0: It's interesting what they've actually done by not doing it under the new content policy. By just saying we're gonna do this, they've left this loophole where if an advertiser is like, you know that that's kind of sucky. I don't want that there. They can just be like, well, it's gone. I I think that it sets a precedent for that. It, it, you're right, Christina. Totally, it's them. You know, protecting their butts in the in a way that's very you know middle of the road.
1: So, I mean, I, I really agree with you, Christina. I I strongly agree with you. It's like, where's the freaking leadership here? And it's like, I I have to be honest. I think that some of the critique of Reddit, at a certain point, it's like, guys, you know, being someone that cares about diversity on Twitter is a little bit different than running, you know, the sixth most (laughs) large website in the world. Okay. Like maybe the stuff's just a little more complicated than it seems to you. Granted, but you know, Christine, I know you've also like I'm not the only person that's followed a lot of people um on Twitter that are you know black following like Ferguson and things like yeah. that this year, and you know I've certainly had my consciousness raised because of it, and um. You know, I think we don't hear, at least I didn't hear about it as much, but, you know, this particular Reddit, subreddit, Seatown, um, you know, this was a very notorious thing in how, you know, people that were actually affected by these forces perceived mm-hmm. Reddit. And I think it's really to Reddit's detriment that, you know, they didn't come out and say, like, we're not going to deal with this because it's wrong. They did it because it was making their job <laughs> harder. Do you know how terrible yeah. that is? Do you In know? the same I way guess. that they
0: let Ellen Pow take the fall for Victoria Taylor right. being oh. fired.
1: It's, you know, there's a a $20 word for this. It's called tergiversation. and wow. What tergiversation means is when you're so, because of the equivocation of the speaker, you cannot assess the person's meaning and this is it's just it's a lack of leadership and Mm -hmm. you know like I have to be I, I believe in what they're doing as far as the quarantining to me that seems like a a reasonable step for like getting things kind of pushed aside where they're not going to show up with advertisers, but kind of letting Reddit users feel more open to what they're talking about. That seems like a reasonable step to me. But sure. if you're going to go through and, like, ban these, you know, rape forums, like, I think, like, that's a point where you also need to stand up and, like, ban these racism forums. Yeah, and it's yeah. just, it's another thing that gives me no confidence in this current leadership at Reddit, you know? It's like was the
0: one about rape banned because it had a verb in the title, right? Like, I, mean, yeah, I mean that
2: encourages a behavior. Exactly. I, don't know. I mean, and, and that's and that's the thing. I, it, it is bothersome to me. I I don't like to to kind of think about it in those kinds of terms uh, because it's uncomfortable. But I think you're right. Bridget, where it is very interesting that certain types of of, of uh, you know forms will be um, banned. And let's be honest, are primarily being attracted by a certain type of people and the people who are outcrying against it are, are a certain type of people. And yet the outcry against something like SeaTown for however many years that was going on, it took, again, not the fact that it was, you know, the largest white supremacist community on the internet for them to be like, we don't want to be part of this, but saying, oh, this is too much work for us to moderate.
0: Uh, that's crappy. Yeah. Just for, for lack of a better word.
1: It's not good. It's not it's, good. I
0: think... <laughs> So I guess, would you guys say that Reddit has basically decided that they can make revenue just without these sort of rotten parts of that community, like after banning this community and quarantining the others so they're not going to be gathering ad revenue?
1: I mean, I actually take that statement kind of at their word. I mean, look, yeah. Reddit has had a lot of people leave that company lately. So you know, Twitter has dealt with this to a certain extent, too. There's a really high-profile piece this week talking about Twitter's Problem like attracting people to that company, Um, which I feel is a little unfair because they've really stepped up handling my stuff personally. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I think Reddit is in a position where they need engineers, they need, you know, project team leaders, they need enforcement people, they need administrators. And, you know, this is a really large website. They need to be looking for some of the best people in the entire world at their jobs. And I think they can't attract them. Right now. So like, even though the statement was really stupid to make, I think that that was the truth. I think they're going through and they're saying, will you please come work for Reddit? And they're like, well, I can't work for a site that's like famously hosting this white supremacist stuff. I think that really is their reason why.
2: Yeah, and, and I also think that you bring up a great point, Brie, which is the fact that kind of, yeah, you're right. They need all these people and they need all these employees. And it's only been with the the VC funding that they've really had the resources to do this. Because when they were still completely under advanced publications, you know, when they were under Condé Nast, you know, they were famously on kind of a shoestring budget and had a very small operating budget. Now they've got, you know, $50 million in, in VC funding. They have the ability and, and frankly, they, they need to start spending that capital to invest mm-hmm. in that stuff. So it's one of those things too too, where the old excuse they could at least get away with in the media to a certain extent was, well, there are only so many of us. You know, we've only got this small amount of budget. We're doing the best we can. They can't use that as an excuse anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. they've got major venture capitalists, you know, behind them, and and they've got, uh, you know, If they're not um, actually going out and actively hiring people and actively trying to fill these positions, um, then that shows that there's an even bigger problem happening in in, in management.
0: Mm -hmm. And these Reddits have been banned, but we're still waiting on updates to the tools that moderators use daily to work with a site. No, yeah,
2: totally. Uh, One thing I do think is interesting, though, uh, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but, you know, it looks like QuanCast, you know, uh, uh, rating, uh, I guess, numbers came out for for web traffic and it looks like Reddit's traffic was actually up even during... Period where huh. all this stuff happened. And I have a feeling it's probably just because of the outsized, you know, um, mainstream media attention to the yeah. sites. So, yeah. Reddit's traffic actually has increased during all the, you know, Ellen Powell Gate and, 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 and Victoria Gate, the whole thing. Um, you know, their, their traffic is actually, <laughs> it, it, uh, instead of everybody moving away a la Dig, you know, and, and going to vote to <sighs> vote is now a US company. Uh, they incorporated. No. US. Well, oh, no, really? Cause, yeah, because well, they realized. Belatedly, then maybe registering as um, a free speech organization in Europe wasn't a good idea. I mean, because, and, and which was something I pointed out when their host dropped them, when their German host dropped them. I was like, are you? Serious? You really thought that, like, Europe, you thought, like, Sweden was going to, like, protect you and your freedom of speech. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Are you aware of, like, Nuremberg laws? Like, come on. Yeah, like, yeah. You're, do you even know, like, where you are? Like, the European Union does not care about your freedom of speech.
1: <laughs> um, Can and- <laughs> I bring up a side issue with VOTE I'm yeah. trying to get solved right now? So I've never had this happen before. People started domain name grabbing SpaceCatGal, and they've done this with VOTE, and I'm trying to actually get in touch with their company because I'm worried that someone's going to take that handle and start saying like the worst it, yeah. things on earth and then it will be attributed to me so I'm like trying to hunt down this company behind the scenes and back channel with yeah it's, like two, so, it's like two
2: college students um, right I know, and, I know yeah and 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 they are not great people from what I can
1: understand yeah I know, yeah. but at least I'll have the email saying, well, they wouldn't help me with this. This is my proof. It's not me. Um, but no, that I think I, I do want to say this, though. And, you know, this is kind of the other side of this. You know, I am someone that's a well-known feminist. And something I see people that have the same ideology as I do is I think that we were very slow to recognize when companies do things that are good. Um, yeah. I think Twitter is a fantastic example yeah they have what like quadrupled tripled their their amount of staff that are looking at reports that are sent in yes. they've broadened their um harassment policies and you know I've been talking about that. This week on Twitter, where we've seen it go from like 15 percent of death threats get acted on and those accounts suspended to nearly 100 percent. And, you know, I'm not back channeling this with Twitter. I'm just reporting it the same way you would report. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and,
0: and, I
2: know. And I've had the same experience where right. it went from taking weeks or or the, went from them, you know, six months ago, writing back, oh, this is not violating our policy to right. now immediately Mm -hmm. banning
0: right that's something that worries me about social media is that that the good thing the things that get fixed i think don't get reported or spread as often as the things that are wrong
1: well that's my point here it's like i i'm worried that you know i i feel bad coming out on the show and kind of blasting reddit for this because the truth is they did finally get some really terrible things banned and i i kind of don't like not giving credit where credit is mm-hmm. due. Sure. Totally. I want to tell everyone here, like, if they start writing their ship, you know, I would be delighted to tell you about that on the show. The same way totally. I'm delighted to tell you how Twitter is improving on this show. And what I would like to see from the activist community is not just to like give some credit when people step in and solve a problem, because my freaking God, like, I've complained on Twitter. And I've developed software <laughs> and led a company. And one's a lot harder than the other is. And, like, have a little bit of empathy. Like, it is so – it's hard solving this stuff. Like, It, it, it definitely it, is. Dealt with any bureaucracy, it's like once a ship gets to a certain size, no one person can steer it. You know, you've right. got meetings and committees and – you know like that's been twitter's problem like it's it's so yeah. large at this point you can't make changes so just give mm-hmm. a little bit of credit when they do okay cuz it took a lot of work.
2: <laughs> no I I would agree I think it's worth giving tri- uh, uh, Twitter credit for definitely cleaning up and making the experience better unfortunately for them um, you know we can credit them all we, all they want for that the, what they're receiving criticism for now though is from the business community and that's because the company is kind of in shambles and but that's completely unrelated at least to some of I mean you know there's a tangential relationship but it's it's not really directly tied to some of you know their, their, their harassment issues beforehand um, so it's it's sort of I think a kind of cautionary tale which is that even if you can kind of write the ship for certain things, and you're, you're dead on, Bree. We should definitely be pointing out the fact that they're doing a much better job with both, um, you know, recognizing harassment. I think their built-in a, a quality filter tool um, is, is actually really good. If you've got that, you know, on the official apps, that it, it, it'll hide stuff uh, pretty uh, pretty ac- uh, accurately, i I found. Um they're responding. They have a lot more people looking at that stuff. But the problem um, for for them now is that they fundamentally, as a company, have bigger problems to deal with. And and it's it's impossible to say whether or not if they you know kind of started dealing with some of that other stuff earlier, if that would have made any sort of impact on the, the very real financial uh, problems they're they're kind of having now, and kind of leadership and product challenges they're having. Um, but at least um, they are not. The narrative is no longer about. Um, you know the fact that users are afraid to go on the service. They've they've taken very active steps, and and when Dick Costello, the, the former CEO, made a statement that says, "You know this is not who we want to be," um, I have to give him full credit for he you know really put effort into um, ramping up their resources yeah, to make it a better place. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of people in his position say that they will take care of things and don't, and, and that was something that he totally, you know, was able to, to come through on. He might not have done what Wall Street wanted um, with, with, with the stock and with the company and with kind of the product vision and, and maybe didn't have the monthly active users the way they wanted, but he certainly addressed the harassment stuff a lot better than um, other CEOs of other tech companies have, I think.
0: Yep. hmm definitely should we move on to dessert let's do it let's do it okay so are we we doing the time magazine cover yeah we got to yeah we got to we've done we we agreed so time magazine this week published a cover about the oculus rift with an interesting photoshop an instantly memeable photoshop but that's i think not really what we are going to focus on today this photoshop was a palmer lucky uh wearing the oculus rift and ridiculous looking looking totally ridiculous yeah
2: what bothered me about it and chelsea stark wrote something about it for us and and i also did like a a, like a very quick gallery thing of like 10 other times you know magazines have made tech luminaries look ridiculous is that it's like okay what year is this this is a this is a guy who at 21 years old sold his company that like two years earlier had been on kickstarter to facebook for 2.1 billion dollars that hired everybody who's everybody in VR wants to work for this company is basically changing you know the state of kind of this sort of technology is making these huge advancements is doing stuff is finally making VR come out for real and rather than celebrating that what does Time Magazine do would they make him look like an idiot on the cover of the magazine and make him look silly and continue to kind of belittle the point that you know what this stuff is I don't know it just really bothers me Mm -hmm. when when we can't you know like there's no other industry that gets this Sort of respect that that gets the sort of I guess lack of respect that like gaming slash tech gets, and I think that's really unfortunate.
0: It's interesting because I feel like no matter how cool VR is on a technical level, it still is. I think it looks very silly to people outside of tech, and probably people still inside tech, just because I mean, big big goggles. You're hooked up to a computer. You're wandering around with not being able to see, and I think that that. A, it's it's hard to communicate in a visual way. They did it in a particular, in the worst way that yes, they could have I was chosen. I'm just saying, it's probably going to never look
2: cool. But they went out of their way to make it look as uncool as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. I I don't know how even to communicate the idea of the magic of VR into f- for the person who doesn't understand its applications. And I I don't. It's not just about gaming. I think they they really could have focused on some of the more business the business end of it like vr and in- vr being used in hospitals vr being used to um to treat people with simulation immersive simulations and things like that i don't know yeah i know ptsd Can...
2: training there's all kinds of stuff but, but that wouldn't have made a funny cover that wouldn't have been like yeah. that, that that would have made, made the made the 21 year old kid look stupid i mean like 22 year old kid so I have to be, be honest
1: though, oh. though, christian i saw this cover and i You know, I'm not someone that's big on conspiracy theories, but I can't help but think time knew what they were doing with it. Because it's creating a meme or creating creating a meme. I think like they they, they put it there and it's so ridiculous. I think like. They knew this would happen. Of course they did. So, no, I, right, I, right, right, right. Which right.
2: is why it makes me angry. Of course they did. They took photos that would make him look as ridiculous as possible because they knew it would get attention and we would all be talking about it. So I'm, yeah. I'm being into their whole narrative. I'm just saying I'm tired of Time Magazine making tech luminaries look look idiotic. Mm-hmm. I went back to their archives. They had one You of, wrote an article
0: about it. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Jeff Bezos,
2: you know, he was named Man of the Year in 1999. Most people who were named man of the year have like a stately photo. What do they do to Jeff Bezos? They put his head in a box with packing peanuts and a disconnected computer mouse – Oh, my gosh. Like, most idiotic thing you can imagine. And I'm going, are you serious? Did you have to do this? Um, the, I did, look, I, I did have to get in my licks at this because the cover is so ridiculous. I tweeted out, and, and Kevin Rose, God bless him, retweeted me on this. I said, look, you know, Kevin Rose and, and, and uh, Mark Andreessen no longer have the worst uh, covers <laughs> in the history of tech. Kevin Rose famously, you know, was on the cover of Business Week in 2006 with this thumbs up and his headphones on with this terrible headline that Sarah Lucy wrote that was like, this kid, how this kid made, 60 million dollars in 18 months and like it's the worst cover ever and 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 uh and he admits kevin rose admits that and
1: uh honestly palmer's palmer's cover is worse yeah so can we talk uh can we talk a little bit about the actual content of the article because what bothered me about this is you know and i'm not trying to get political here but there is a certain narrative that you know like time is not super renowned for their cutting edge tech coverage, right? Yeah. There, there's a certain area Although Stephen Lovey did start there, but yes, you're right, sure, you're right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But you know, there's, there's a, a narrative there's, there's, that you come into, right? Yes. And what is interesting, like look, I have meetings with VC people every day of the week talking about this stuff. I talk to other people in this field about VR stuff every day of the week. And what is really notable to me about VR is how many more women I know they're investing, they're gearing up, they're working in this field than video games a technology we are very, very interested in at GSX is a, a, I don't want to super plug it here, but it's a VR tech that will track your eye movement as you're using it. So it has all these really interesting applications. Like when you're looking at a skeletal mesh in the eye, like they will turn towards you and react to that. So, and and yeah, the CEO of that company is a woman. And what bothers me reading the story is it's, it's just, it's the same hall of mirrors assumption with it. So Christina, like your frustration was about the, the cover and like making people look, look bad. My frustration with this article is I, I read it and I don't think it's a very smart or accurate summation of the VR industry and where we are and where we're that. going. I think it's I, frankly I, stupid. So I,
2: I that and about it. I really like the author of the article, kind of um, authors. He, he One time was the editor-in-chief of Entertainment Weekly and he's a smart guy. I don't think he was the right person to write the article because he didn't get it and he regurgitated instead the same story that we've heard for years and frankly regurgitated the same Oculus story we've heard for years. Mm-hmm. Um, without adding anything new to it, I didn't think. And I think you're right, Bray, there's so many other options and so much else happening in the world that he could have gone beyond just the you know oh you know we'll be you know floating around on the beach sort of thing right right yeah
1: god that's such it's so simplistic it's so stupid with the problems we are actually solving with this i mean it's just it's Mm -hmm. it's insulting it is Mm -hmm. flat out insulting to the the innovations possible in this field
0: jen frank was posting some great excerpts of it on twitter and one thing that they're He mentions in the article that the graphics are not that great. But one thing she pointed out then in response to that was that actually with immersion therapy, it works better if it's not not, hyper-realistic. Oh,
1: no, that's really true. Uh, Because, like, you're – we can't – like, it's it's so computationally – you know, expensive to render mm-hmm. anything innocuous. Like, go look at the the computational specs there. So, to get it at a point where it does look photorealistic, like CG in a Hollywood movie has, like, we just aren't there yet. So, what happens but, 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 is it but, looks really uncanny valley. So, right, yeah, you don't want it to look cartoon style. Um, they've actually, like, we ask ourselves a lot: what women want to play in games at GSX? And um, I can actually show you studies that show repeatedly people respond better to more cartoon any yes. anime-looking styles
2: in VR. Well, yeah. but but I think also I, I've talked to in the past, I've talked to, um, you know, um, therapists who are working, you know, a, a psychiatrists and psychologists who are working with, with using VR with PTSD patients. And, mm-hmm. and you're right, um, Simone, um, you know, Jen is right. What the studies have shown is that if it does look too realistic, especially if you're Creating something like ptsd um if you are if you recreate it too well then it it actually has a negative impact whereas if it looks kind of a close approximation it's a good way to kind of do that sort of immersion therapy um versus you know if you were truly able to make it photorealistic that actually probably wouldn't be as effective of a technology
0: Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Yeah, it seems like it's just kind of perpetuating the idea of vr almost as something that is still out of our reach in the way where it is it's Exclusive to these strange nerds who live in this yes. other world, and it's like this is this and we don't want that
2: we no, want don't everyone to be able to access it exactly, and it's like let's 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 make no mistake. I mean, I guess what and I'll get off my soapbox now. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the article was problematic, and I'm a Time subscriber, and I like Time magazine, but the article was problematic. That the cover was problematic, but it, yeah, it, it just again, I think, kind of belittles the fact that this was a company, you know, for whatever you may think positive or negative about Oculus, you know, is a company that. Um, was started by a very young person who's clearly very, very smart, has all these visions, got really smart people involved in, and sold to Facebook for 2.1 billion dollars mm-hmm. after being around for like 18 months. Like that's an amazing feat. And if it were any other industry, I can't imagine the the founder being belittled the way that, that Palmer yeah. was. That's all. And, and Suit I'm,
0: and tie, wearing shoes. Yeah. Point blank. <laughs> all right. Shall we move on to what we're doing this week?
1: Very quickly, I'm on book deadline, so I'm working on. I'm doing. Do you both remember when you first started writing, and there was the joy of seeing your name in print and being so proud of what you wrote? And then you move to where you're doing it professionally and you're being paid to it. It's such a headache <laughs> at the deadlines. You just want to get written so you can go do your stuff. That's where oh, I am today. So, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, I have a piece coming out for the Guardian soon that is it's, so good is one of the best things i've ever written and i i cannot wait to uh talk about that on the show give
0: us a hint about what it's about well we i mean
1: wait? it's uh, you know the one year anniversary of Gamergate is coming oh, up but yeah. you know it's not about that it's like this movement is discredited here's what you know the women in the field are dealing with and you know like it's time to move on to real problems so um awesome. i'm very proud of that piece Yay. so i'm looking
0: forward to it yeah. looking forward to sharing it on social media
1: Oh, also, I'm going on uh, Al Jazeera tomorrow, which I always love. I think they do... They really do good coverage. I mean, I am cuz I I watched the debate yesterday. And I'm watching <gasps> more cable news than I usually do and it's not good usually. Guys, it's it's not good. <laughs> did so, you guys see
0: yeah. Donald Trump trashing Megan Kelly? We probably should talk about yeah. this cuz it's political. Oh my God, I can't but even. I
1: think we could talk about it a bit. Um okay. yeah, it was terrible. It's terrible. It was terrible. He's <laughs> terrible.
0: such a giant pile of trash. <laughs> Christina,
2: what are you doing this week? Yeah, so I mean um, I'm watching a lot of TV and movies is basically what I'm doing. I'm, I, I wish that I had like more of a work-life update to really give, but I don't have that much. <laughs> and maybe it's because we're recording late because of me. Thank you for letting me see One Direction, you guys.
0: Yeah. You've um, already had your big accomplishment basically,
2: this week. The, 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 basically. <laughs>
0: Your future is all set, Christina. You can retire now. Retire. Saw One Direction and Taylor Swift twice in a year, or each in a year.
2: Yeah, within three weeks at the same venue. So I'm, I'm like dead. So yeah. What about you, Simone? What are you up to? So sorry. Uh,
0: Well, again, because it's the weekend, this is super awkward. I'm going down to New Orleans this weekend to visit a friend, and um, I'm and then I'm going to totally blank on what I'm doing work wise. I I guess speaking to the writing thing, Brianna.
1: What are you doing in New Orleans?
0: Uh, apparently going to lots of cemeteries and possibly sweating so much that I collapse into a puddle of goo on the ground and need to be buried in one of them.
1: Are you going to the French Quarter? Yes. God. Okay. Okay.
0: So one thing I learned. A lot of good
1: bars down there. I'm just saying. Okay.
0: Please send me all of your recommendations. Actually, tell me if everyone in New Orleans really rides bicycles, because every Airbnb listing I looked at was like, we have bicycles for you to borrow. And I'm like, this is suspicious. Why does New
1: Orleans want me to ride so many bicycles?
0: <laughs> I
1: tell you, if you got a tropical isle and managed to bring back some hand grenade mix with you. Is that
0: the barn that you, is that the drive through barn?
1: And no,
0: well, Tropical Isle is so good, and yes, you want hand yeah.
2: grenade mix, and you want to make them yeah. at home, and you want to drink them all the time. You're yeah. so, you're so right, Brie. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Uh, it, so you smoke. get that, and then we will get yes. trash that packs stuff together like the oh. specials. We it are.
2: buy enough yeah. so that you can somehow come to EXO. We will see each other in Portland, and yes. we will drink that together. Too because yeah, like seriously.
0: You're gonna need to mess remessage message me and remind me about the dates for that. Because, I will yeah. put this.
1: In. I'm gonna okay. have my assistant send you this hand grenade right mix
0: at yes. Tropical, tropical Isle. Instructions
1: aisle. about hand grenade mix.
2: Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, they won't come in, in Tropical Isle's fantastic hand grenade um, glasses, which are just like amazing. They actually look like grenade. Will if I steal one? You well, yeah. They're they plastic. They let you go because uh, this is great. Oh. There is there is no open container laws, so you. Can can oh literally God. walk around with open beer and
0: containers, and it's great. So basically, I'm never coming back from this weekend. Goodbye, guys. Yeah, just just don't do what
2: I did one time and pass
1: out.
0: Christina, I could wait, never I tell be you
1: rihanna's story
0: here. okay rihanna who's on a deadline
1: tell a story. no no okay can i tell you a story of how i got my first dog can i tell you this you story? did you told us that story okay i was yes. so liquored up on hand grenades that's why i'm so passed out so oh my gosh so good it's such okay. a sugar rush and oh
0: well i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. one up you and come back with two dogs okay
1: so. you should All right. do that you should do that you should call the dog gaming with the moms I will always name dog
0: my – I'll, I'll have a dog named Rocket and dog yeah. named Gammy at the Moms. Okay. Uh, our two Rocket dogs will have to fight to the death, unfortunately, because they can't share a name. Yours will probably win. Yeah. Havanese, a very fierce breed. Um, so to get updates on how to make the best hand grenades, Brianna, where can we find you online? Space cut girl. That's awesome. Christina, to get updates on what bench you've passed out on, where can we find you online? <laughs> yes. You can find me at film
2: underscore girl.
0: Alright, and to hopefully not see any any tweets from me this weekend, I'm going to ban myself from Twitter, but you can follow me at DoomQuasar on the tweet machine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rocket. Uh If you want to leave even more awesome reviews, even more awesome than the ones we've already had, you totally should in iTunes. And while you're there, just drop a couple stars in that whole star rating bar. It's really cool how it works. Um, It makes us very happy. So thank you for listening to this episode, which is now terminated. Terminated.
2: Terminated.